to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And all the way from Melbourne, Australia, we have our guest, Dan Lazar. And he is a serial entrepreneur who is known for successfully raising his first round of investments in Shark Tank, Romania. And he sold his first business in 2019 and made his first million dollars in sales through building sports facilities. And he's currently the founder and CEO of HeroX.com.au. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Aileen. I'm very excited to be here. Dan, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, so long story short, I was a former tennis player. I played tennis between the age of 10 to 18 years old. Then naturally, I started the tennis academy because that was where most of my experience was. And after I sold the tennis academy, I started a business building tennis and soccer fields and covering them with air domes and metallic structures. So both of these two businesses were in Romania. Around me being focused in these two businesses, I at some point by playing tennis, I heard somebody talking on the next court, needing some help with something. I helped that person. I helped with an introduction and that person ended up being the biggest property developer in Romania. So after that, we started being friends. He started to inspire me with his stories. He was telling me how much money he was making, the problems that he had, how he was solving them, the dreams that he was having, the magnitude of the project that he was doing. And that was very probably the cherry on top that I needed. I guess in my mind, property development was something hard to reach or you needed to be a genius to do it or just didn't seem like I may be good enough to be able to do property development. So his stories, I guess, were what I needed to start dreaming about being becoming a property developer. And at some point, I reached out to him and I told him, look, I decided that I'm going to go into property development. Can I shadow you for a few months? Can you teach me everything that you know? And I'll give you a percentage of the business in Australia. It was very nice. He said, look, I'll help you. I don't need any percentage. I feel like even if I teach you everything that I know, it will still be hard to execute. So I think that the execution is the hard part. However, if I ever decide to invest with you, just give me the best deal possible. So that's what I want in exchange. Deal number two, three, four, when we might do something together, just look after me and give me the best deal possible. I still remember how embarrassing was the experience when I asked him to shadow him. My knees were trembling. My voice was trembling. I was using the wrong words. I'm amazed that he said yes. I don't know why. (laughs) Yes, it was a bit embarrassing how I did it because I, he has billions and billions and billions of dollars in developments in Romania. So he's that's such a scale is hard to imagine. So that was the step one. I shadowed him for a few months. Step two, I pitched my idea on Shark Tank Romania and on TV, I raised money. In reality, I didn't. We can go more in depth here. And third step, I moved to Australia. I did a property development course for a year. And probably month 11, I secured my first site, which is actually where I am now. This is one of the townhouses in this new development that is just finished. It's uh, four townhouses next to the Yara River. It's interesting, right? When people... You get nervous, especially when you see these 
ultra successful peoples. And then you think that they are so far out there that they are unattainable, unapproachable, but you had the courage to just ask. And surprisingly, he was very receptive to it and wanted to have you shadow him and was very open to that. And you wouldn't have gotten to this point in time if you didn't even have the courage to take that first step by just asking to see if it was possible or not. Definitely. I'm still amazed that he said yes, considering how I pitched him and considering that in a property development business, in my opinion, more things go wrong than go right. So for him to have this level of transparency with somebody that we knew each other for a year, it's not like I was his cousin or something. So I've seen as part of the company and shadowing him things that went well, things that didn't go so well, challenges, people suing him, extremely eye-opening for me to see the good and the bad of property development, I guess. So I'd love to ask, how did you go from shadowing him to getting onto Shark Tank in Romania and pitching your first deal? So probably before I asked, I already decided that I'm going to go do property development. And probably somewhere in that process, somebody was telling me that uh, our Shark Tank is just launching in Romania. So I was part of season one. I think in Romania, it has a different name. Name is called Imperial Lailor. So Lions then, not really Shark Tank, but it's the same brand behind. And to be honest, I feel like it was a bit crazy to go in Shark Tank Romania to propose a business in Australia. I'm amazed that I even raised the money, but probably I said all of the right words and the right things. And on TV, I raised money from two of the five sharks. In reality, the coronavirus pandemic came immediately after, and both of these two people were in the hospitality space and they just decided to back out of the deal. So that's also eye-opening. 20 to 30% of the deals that you see on TV actually go through in reality. Got it. So then that deal that you had pitched and you had raised money for, you ended up, what ended up happening to that deal? So for that one specifically, that that one didn't go ahead, but also their investment didn't go ahead. So in reality, we didn't raise funds for that one. Got it. And so after that first experience there, I mean, share a little bit, because this was, is this the first time that you had gone on to raise your first capital raise? Yes, yes. What did you do to prepare yourself to begin with? So for, for Shark Tank specifically, I probably over-prepared myself. I put on a piece of paper a hundred possible questions that somebody could ask me. I was saying my pitch maybe a hundred times and videotaping me and looking how it was and improving it. So that was probably step two. And step three, I was uh, leveraging my uh, girlfriend at that point and currently my wife. She, I was asking her to ask me questions that would make me stumble. So she was asking me all of the potential questions that would make me, I don't know, laugh, saying the wrong answer, try to trigger me or whatever. Which I probably invested, I don't know, 24 hours of work in, in just preparing. And the result was, yeah, was good. Yes, not a lot of businesses on TV, they raised from two businesses. Yeah, so I'm happy that I put in that extra work. So since that first deal didn't end up going through, what did you do after then? So months, a few months later, probably one or two months later, I actually relocated to Australia and I started attending all of the possible events about property development, about property investment in general. And at some point I came across a guy here called Rob Flux. He has a property development course that goes very in depth on how to Become more knowledgeable, avoid all of the 
avoidable mistakes, just do things in a more educated way. And I think that was a very important step, the fact that I signed up for like a 12-month mentoring program. Because even though I had the right foundation by shadowing this guy in Romania, I didn't have the detailed knowledge that is required. Uh, I don't know if what you can do with a piece of property, how many townhouses you can put there. Like right now, I look at the property and in five, 10 minutes, I have... I know what I can do with sort of 90% accuracy. I don't need to go to an architect, to a town planner for them to come back and tell me what I can do there because I know how to read the planning schemes. I know how to see what is more in demand in an area. There's areas like this where I'm now where townhouses are very popular, areas where only apartments would work. So it's a lot of small things that you need to know to be successful, I guess. Did you specifically choose Australia to relocate for real estate or was there other reasonings behind that? I would say there are three reasons. The biggest one, my wife is Australian. So we always kind of knew that at some point we would relocate here. And I guess that's how I knew so much about Australia. Secondly, Australia, until the pandemic, was number one in the world at immigration per capita. So I think U.S. is number one in the world at immigration. However, immigration per capita, if you look at how many people are moving here compared to how many people are already here, Australia was number one. And due to this, this puts a lot of pressure on the prices. There's people that bought a property with 100K, I don't know, 20 years ago, and now that property is 2 million. So the level of growth that Australia has seen and will continue seeing due to the fact that it's a nice place to raise a family, a nice place to they have a free education and health system brings in a lot of people from all across the world. And this puts a lot of pressure on the prices because we just can't develop and build fast enough. When you're looking to be a developer and breaking into the space, what's like the fundamental steps that you need to take in order to set yourself up for success? Because there are so many different things that you could start off with that could lead you down a path of a potential failure, lots of loss, developments can go awry pretty quickly. So what are like the fundamental things that you learned as you're getting into development? I would say the first one is location, location, location. One of the things that enabled my friend from overseas to the developer, the big developer, to scale from zero to billions in 10 years was the fact that he only develops next to nature, next to a lake, next to a park, next to the ocean. And this is a a formula or an ingredient that I've replicated. I only develop next to nature. This development is next to the river. The next development is next to park. It sort of has a park on three sides. I think if you do things next to nature, there is a high probability that you will have a bigger success because you just can't compare four bedrooms with surrounded by other townhouses compared with four bedrooms with a direct access to a park. It's just a totally different product. So I think the way I see it, if you build the wrong product in the best possible location, you will still succeed. If you build the best possible product in the wrong location, you will fail. It's likely that you will fail. Therefore, I think location, I start to realize that location is a lot more important. I knew it was important. It is a lot more important than I even thought. Secondly, you can make a lot of mistakes. Therefore, having somebody with you that is experienced is extremely valuable. Either paying for somebody or partnering with somebody more experienced is extremely valuable because there's so many mistakes. And as an example, in my first project, probably three mistakes cost me close to 300000 
So even if you do 150 things correctly, three mistakes might wipe out, I don't know, 30% of your profit. That's why it's important to avoid the avoidable, avoidable mistakes, and you can do this by having the, the right people, um, right people around you. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about: serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sela and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Can you share what those three mistakes were that you made? Definitely. So one of them was we decided to engage the wrong roof plumbing company. So specifically here in Australia, there's two people, two teams that is very hard to change the roof plumber and the electrician because they are giving you a certificate that you need for you to finish the project. And nobody wants to take over somebody else's work. Therefore, if you start with somebody and that somebody is not serious, it's extremely hard to change them. So we work with somebody and this person, we agreed on a timeline. They were delivering something differently. They were very slow. We told them from the beginning why it's important that we respect those timelines due to our holding cost and this and that. So we ended up changing them at some point. Therefore, we went over budget. And also, we generated probably around three months of delay. So that's one thing. It's very, property development is a, is a business where it's very expensive to work with the wrong people. Secondly, we had to engage a building surveyor. A building surveyor verifies the quality of what you develop. I'm not sure what is the a similar term in, in US or what's the term of these people. In this case, we had four quotations. The cheapest quotation was Company X. Company X also had a 4.8 star review on Google. Therefore, we started working with them. However, it was extremely expensive. They hit us with something called a stop of works at some point. This stop of works was, according to the Victorian Building Authority, something that should have been a fix of works. So basically, we had to halt all construction for two months for something that even the authority above them was saying that that should not be the case. And these other things, again, they just made our life a living hell to a certain degree without too much substance. So yeah, def- definitely before I started, I didn't realize how important a building server was. And last but not least is probably a lot of other small delays along the way, probably something that we can improve in the future by having more clarity in our contracts, more detailed scope of works, what is included, what is not included is very easy. You can go into a game where they start to charge you variations because there's things that are included. They're saying they're not included and so on. I live in the U.S., so I'm not as familiar with the Australian market. But the real estate market and to be able to develop the projects that you're working on now, what's the feasibility of it? And maybe if you can share like a price per square foot or something like that for a comparison. And what does it take in terms of having to get permits and some of the obstacles that you have to overcome in order to get a property up and running and developed? I'll share my game here. I have a very unique strategy that I think people could potentially replicate in the US as well. So what we do, we only target projects that are already approved. Getting an approval 
takes around a year here in Australia. And when you buy a property, maybe you buy it expecting to get approval for four townhouses and you get approval for three townhouses and it doesn't work anymore, but you can't back out of it. Therefore, my approach of only targeting development approved projects enables us to, one, have more clarity in the beginning, because before I go unconditional on a purchase, I can have a valuation evaluating the prices that I will be selling at and a quantity surveyor estimating my construction costs so I can have third parties confirm my findings. I can't be very wrong about those two, the biggest variables possible, the sales price and the construction cost. So with this being the key, yeah, if you're looking to get into development, I strongly feel like targeting develop things that already have a permit is a low-hanging fruit. It might be harder to find them for a good price. But in Australia, only 50 to 60% of the permits go ahead. So a lot of people get a permit and they don't go ahead for various reasons. So you should not be scared to, to try to approach them. And then another small thing that we do that I feel like is valuable to replicate is we usually secure, whenever I make an offer, I usually make three offers on a property. I never make just one. Usually I offer them a lot of money, but on amazing terms or less money on their terms. So as an example, I had a case with the second property. I think the vendor wanted 2.6, he wanted like 2.7 million. We brought him down to 2.6 million. However, we wanted to pay 2.4 million. So what we did in that case, I offered him 2.4, but he could have the money in, I don't know, one month. And then I offered him 2.6, which was his price, but with my terms. And my terms were 1% deposit, nine months delayed settlement, ability to pre-sell, ability to get all of the building permits. So when I settle on his property, I'm shovel ready. A lot of things along those lines. And he wanted more money. And we actually like that because by delaying the moment that we had to pay for the property, it enabled us to get shovel ready. Because even if you have a permit, you still need to do the construction documentation to get the building permit. So it's planning permit and building permit in Australia. Got it. Okay. So how long is a typical time to get shovel ready? I would say 12 to 18 months. 12 to 18 months. Okay. And then the project that you're currently working on, you're building townhomes? Yeah. Yeah. So this one is finished. We just achieved occupancy, which means people can start to move in and people are starting to move in next week. I'm actually the first one that moved in one of the townhomes. And the second one, it's um, five townhouses next to a park, around $7 million in value. And that one is shovel ready. Awesome. And so what's your next focus here, Dan? Mm, good question. I'm uh, Project number three, 100% will be a development of a childcare. I'll go more in depth. And project number four, I'm exploring with my friends and specifically even my friend from Romania, if we can potentially do something together. I don't know. I think five, seven, 10 million is a space that I am starting to feel comfortable in. However, scaling to 30, 40, 50 million dollars in value or even a hundred million dollars in value, I'd feel more comfortable doing in partnership with somebody that has already done it. And in my experience, I've seen that people in construction and in development don't have a lot of integrity. So I would probably, this guy would be one of the three people that I would consider partnering up for. I'm finding it hard to trust the majority of people, I guess. So Dan, how has real estate investing impacted your life? I feel like it's an amazing vehicle. I feel like it enables me to dream bigger. I see things that inspire me. I get to start to experience more and more the life that I want to live. And I guess for me, the 
the millionaire life is, I don't know, having uh, three, four days of holiday each month, being able to buy nice things for your family. Now I have my extended family from overseas here experiencing the holidays with us. So it's a great vehicle. I feel like I wanted to do big things with my tennis academy in the past as well. However, that's a business that nowhere in the world is huge. You can't build a billion dollar tennis academy, but there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that build a billion dollar property development company. Therefore, it's easier to, because you're dealing with such a big need, our need for housing, for shelter is so big and this is so close to our heart. Sky is the limit what you can do in this space. And if there is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Mm, Good question. I guess probably believe in yourself. I feel like I struggled without even knowing with believing in myself. There is is specifically a project that maybe one, I came across it two years ago. Two years ago, it was so big, I didn't even look at it. A year ago, I started looking at it, but I was thinking, oh, only I would only do it if this person comes with me and this and that. And now I'm probably going to do it on my own. It's a $100 million deal. And I'll share one specific thing here. Anybody can do big projects if you partner up with a landowner. In this case, the landowner has a property that is valued at $35 million. And he has enough equity there for us to do a $100 million deal by leveraging the equity that he has in his property. So in theory, this is a $100 million deal that I would be able to do without any of my own cash. It's true that there will be some expenses paying the architect, getting the planning permit, building permit, but it's one to two million, not 36 million or 40 million that you might need in cash, which would be the case if you don't partner up with the landowner. So partnering up with the landowner, or perhaps you may have a relative that has a big piece of land. I think it may be a low hanging fruit. In my experience, I've seen that it didn't really work try to do these deals in the beginning because people were not really trusting me as a beginner, but now I see more and more that they are possible. So this is something for people to explore. And if there's one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate, what would that be? Number one, focus on the location. If you nail them the location, you will be able to make a lot of mistakes and still make it work. Second of all, just work really, really hard. And whenever you get a bit upset or things are really overwhelming you, just find better ways to respond to that stress. I found it that my first project was stressful to the point where I felt like my body was collapsing. I felt like it was really changing me in ways that I didn't realize that I could be changed. However, one thing that I discovered by being crushed by my project was to start to respond better and one way in which I respond is by meditating and being active and going to the gym daily. Awesome. Dan, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? So on our website at herox.com.au, people can learn more about our activity. They can potentially explore how they could work with us. We typically use investor funds around 75% of the equity component comes from investors, 25% from us. Therefore, We are always welcoming new investors to partner up on our projects. Dan, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate you. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you for your your great questions. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. 
If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.